Morning. All right, so we are in uh, Gospel of Matthew. Have been for a little while, a couple years. Yeah, no joke. One thing I've found that I do uh, is when I'm stressed or when I'm going through, uh, you know, a difficult time, if I've got a lot on my mind, I do inexplicable things. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Like, if you get a stressful phone call, and I'm, while I'm on that call, I find myself wandering around my yard. I'll be standing in my shed. Next thing I know, I'm in the bathroom, you know, just wandering around because I don't know what to do uh, other than I need to do something. Right? I'm going through uh, some, some difficult times, have some decisions to make, and I zone out and don't hear conversations around me. Or, or worse, I do things that I don't want to do normally, do the things that are not good for me. But more than anything, it's just things that don't make sense. Am I the only one that does that stuff? No. A few of you are messed up like me. <laughs> All right. Reality is when we're grieving, when we're hurting, when we're stressed, when we're in trials, right, uh, we'll do things just to be doing something. Something, hopefully, that will help, right? C.S. Lewis, when he described grief, he, he said this. He says, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says. I've been there. I've felt that. And today we're going to look at a group of women who, in the midst of their anguish, in the midst of their trial, they, uh, they go out and do something that's kind of inexplicable, and they find more than what they expect. We're going to see that in Matthew 28. Uh, before we do, though, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to help us understand what we're about to study. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to study your word, to be able to gather together like this. Lord, we're about to study your holy word about uh, the most important event in history. And Lord, we know that, uh, that we do inexplicable things. We run from you rather than to you. We listen to all the wrong voices. And Lord, we just pray that you would cleanse us, bring us into fellowship, help us to understand who you are and who we can be in you. We pray for your blessing on the message on the hearts of your people, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew 28, verse 1, says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now that's not inexplicable, right? Someone they loved and cherished, they followed, has passed away. That makes sense. We're going to go to their to his tomb. What they were planning to do, though, is sort of inexplicable. And we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark. All four Gospels, by the way, record the events of this day. They all record the resurrection. They all give different details. Not not details that disagree with one another, but different uh, 
views, different events. In the same way that if we, you know, if you have four eyewitness accounts that are exactly identical, you know something's fishy. Because four people will see things from different vantage points. But anyway, Mark gives us a little different detail. Mark 16, verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So, as soon as the Sabbath was over, uh, we've talked about this before, but the way the, the calendar worked, it was sunrise to sunset, right? So, as soon, the, the way they determined when the Sabbath was over on Saturday was when there were three stars visible in the sky. As soon as there were three stars in the sky, Sabbath is over. So, Saturday night... These, these, uh, these women, they get together, and they go to the Jerusalem Walmart Supercenter or whatever. <clears throat> and they're there to buy some spices. And so they go to the, the man who sells the, the different spices, and he says, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And, and they said, well, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want, because they're spice girls, you see. You didn't know that's what that song was about, did you? They really, really, really wanted a zig-a-zig ah, but anyway. Um, the sad part is that's the part of the sermon everyone will remember, you know. But no, they went to buy spices to anoint the body of Jesus. The thing is, Jesus has already been in the tomb. You do this process before someone's buried. They're headed to the tomb Sunday morning, not to see an empty tomb, not to see a resurrected Jesus. They're there to treat the corpse of Jesus. Now, maybe they felt like the process, you know, it had been interrupted because of the Sabbath. Maybe they felt like he wasn't anointed enough. Maybe they wanted to add to it, although that really was rarely done. More than likely, I think, they just felt like they needed to do something. Right? I don't even know if this will help, but I just want to do something for him. And that I can relate to. That I can understand. But it says, you know, they, they felt the need to do something, but it wasn't very well thought through because on their way, verse 3, it says, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? So they bought these spices to go to the tomb that they know is probably already closed with a stone that they can't move, but they're going to go anyway just so they can do something. They're not expecting a miracle or a resurrection. They're just trying to do something to get on with their lives. And so they come expecting to, to, to deal with one problem, right? We've got this stuff. We're going to go to the tomb. I don't know how we're going to move the stone, right? They come expecting to deal with this one problem. And instead, they're going to be faced with a whole different question of where's the body, right? A whole different scenario. And often, you know, I've found that, that one problem, that one question that we have, is just what God is going to use 
to do something totally different. You know what I mean? When you, 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 I've got this one overriding issue in my life that needs to be dealt with. It's all I can think about. Now, it may be that, that that's God's will is for you to deal with that problem, but probably how you deal with that is going to be totally different than what he has in mind. He's using that to get you to realize your need for him. He's using that to get you to go, I don't know how I'm going to move this stone away. Only someone bigger than me can move this stone away. Anyway, so we'll go back to our account here in Matthew. because, Like I said, all four Gospels tell us this resurrection story in different ways. We want to see Matthew's account of this stuff. So Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now we've talked about this before, but Matthew's uh, narrative style, it's, it's very much like how movies are today, right? He, he kind of writes in flashes and scenes. He's not so much concerned with get, getting every little detail in chronological order. He's, he's giving you highlights to make you understand a certain thing or feeling. And so he tells it in sort of a flashback style. And the earthquake doesn't actually occur while they're there, we learn from the other Gospels. But they arrive after. And it says that the angel removed the stone and then sat on it. The guards are terrified and fear. They fall down like dead men. They pass out. I think if we saw, you know, an angelic being, that's how most of us would probably respond. You know, his countenance was like lightning. His robes as white as snow. He glows. He's powerful. He's, you know... Angels aren't little fat babies in diapers with a bow and arrow. That's not what an angel is. So they're terrified, and, and, and the women, they f- come and they find an angel sitting on the stone. And I just think that's funny, because it's a little bit like, uh, those of you that have siblings can understand this, but like, like a bully big brother, when you know you, they wrestle around, and eventually they pin the, the little brother down, and they sit on him. It's the most humiliating thing in the world, right? Then they probably dangle some spit over them and stuff. Maybe. That's what happens at our house, anyway. That's, that's what I do to Gana. But <laughs> I have to establish dominance. But no, it's a... <laughs> the thing that they were worried about, right? The stone blocking their way was, in the angel's eyes, it, that part was a trivial thing. It was something that Not only did he move this obstacle, but then he used it as a stool. He just plops down on it like this was no big thing. What's your stone? What's your obstacle that that you're struggling with, that you've been struggling with for, for years? It's been consuming your thoughts, and I can see no way to get around it. If Jesus can overcome death, he can overcome that. You can claim victory over that in his name. But the angel, he's sitting there in verse 5, it says, the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know 
that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Right? He could probably see the fear on their faces, but he knew why they were there. He knew why they were there. The Bible tells us that, that there are ministering spirits uh, around us all the time. Angels all around. I don't know that we all have our own guardian angel, but there are angels uh, active in the world, and they know you. He says, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. In John's account of this, these events, he says that the grave clothes were still lying in the shape of Jesus' body. Uh, the, the cloths would have been kind of hardened by the resins and the spices that they used to anoint him. He says they were still sort of in his shape. They were still intact. In other words, Jesus didn't unwrap himself like a mummy. He passed through it. But the face cloth, the cloth they used to cover his face, it says, had been carefully folded and placed on a ledge. Indicating there were two miracles that day. There was the resurrection and a man folding his own laundry. <laughs> Jesus really can do it all. The point is, though, if, if Jesus could pass through those cloths, through that wrapping, he didn't need someone to move the stone to let him out. As, we're gonna, as you'll see later, uh, when he appears to his disciples, when they're all gathered together, he actually just passes through the, the door or the wall. He just appears in the room. So he didn't need help getting out of the tomb. The angel rolled it away, not to, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in, to let us see. And this angel, he says, he is not here. He is risen. And the angel's not being all metaphysical, saying, you know, he's not here, he's like everywhere, man. No, he's saying he's not here. He's not, he's not in the place of no hope. He's not in the tomb. He's not, he's not in the place of inaction. He's risen, right? He's active. Verse 7, it's, he says, and go quickly. Tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. See, the, the guards, they, they looked at the stone and the angel, and it says that they looked at that with fear and became as dead men. They saw... They were afraid and became completely inactive. These women see the same things. They have fear and they have great joy and it spurs them into action. And what's the difference? Now, Luke gives us a little more detail in his account of all this stuff as to why their response was different. Luke 24, verse 5, says, Then as they were... Uh, afraid and bowed their faces to the earth. They said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. 
saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they, what? They remembered his words. The angels say, Why are you surprised? He told you this. And they remembered. You know, God's word is, is alive, he tells us. His word is alive, and, and scriptures and truths that we've forgotten about have a way of, of coming from the back to the front of our minds with fresh meaning when it's the, the right place and time for it. I've read scriptures before that I know I've read multiple times prior. And for the first time I see it and go, oh, you see this? Well, the words didn't change, but my life did. My circumstances did. And God said, oh, today you'll understand this one better. Because you need it now more than ever. I've been in situations where, you know, I can barely remember the pin number to my debit card. But I'll remember scriptures that I didn't know I had put to memory in the right moment. Matter of fact, Jesus kind of tells his disciples that uh, he'll do that. His Holy Spirit will do that uh, for you in the, in the times of need. That's why it's important to get the, the word in, because it will come out when you need it most. But verse 8, Matthew 28, verse 8. It says, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. They held him by the feet. They were able to touch him. I mentioned earlier he was able to pass through solid things, apparently. But he's solid. He's real. He's, he's not just this metaphysical thing. He's not just this uh, allegory. He was real. They touched his feet and they worshipped him. Now Jesus met them on their way. Right? The angel told them, go. They rejoice. They go to tell the news. And Jesus meets them on their way, on the path of obedience. Right? Of doing what they're supposed to be doing. Taking the steps that he'd laid out before them. That's how he works. Now he can meet you anywhere. He's near to the brokenhearted, uh, he tells us. But we meet him most, we see him most clearly on the path of obedience. Right? When we're taking the steps he has for us. Hebrews refers to Jesus as our as our forerunner, as our trailblazer, right? He goes before us to make a way. He goes before us to, to make a home, to make the path for us. And that's not just new stuff that he introduced in the New Testament. He, he was telling us that from the beginning. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, says, The Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. He goes before you. That means that thing that you're worrying about, that you're struggling with, that is consuming your thoughts, Jesus is fully aware he's already gone before you and made a way. What is it he, he needs to, to go before you in? Because he's not in the old, he tells us. He's He's in the new. 
He's not in the turning back and going and retreating, right? He's, he's in the new, in the, the path ahead. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in, in, is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I can tell you this. Whatever that obstacle is in your path, that rock, that stone in your way, you're not going to get around it doing what you've always done. It's not going to roll away if you just try harder. Matthew 28, verse 10. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, like I said, if you're familiar with the other gospel accounts, the events that Sunday morning can seem to disagree on some of the details. The, the, you know, how many women were at the tomb? One mentions just Mary Magdalene. One mentions Mary and another Mary. One mentions Mary and another Mary and Salome. And, well, they're, all those are correct, right? We're, they focus on, on different details. Uh, a couple of the Gospels mention two angels. John, men- uh, John mentions two, I think. Matthew just mentions one. He doesn't say there was only one angel. He says one angel said this, right? So I'm going to give you a little, little jet harmony tour of the gospel or of the resurrection real quick, just so you know that these aren't um, discrepancies. They all do work together, okay? So, so there's an earthquake, and the stone is rolled away sometime before dawn. And a group of women, they come early to the tomb, wondering who's going to move the stone. As they approach, they're amazed to see that the stone has been moved, right? Then Mary rushes off to tell Peter and John that the body of Jesus has been stolen because they see that the tomb is open. So you can read that in John's account, John 20, I think it's verse 2. The other women stay behind. As they approach the tomb, they're met by the two angels who tell them what we just read about, right? Carry the word of the resurrection to the disciples. And so they rush away to do what they were told. The problem is, the Gospels tell us that the disciples are scattered throughout the city, right? So it's not like they just run down the path and there are all the disciples. It's going to take some time for them to find them. Sometime that day, while they're in that process of doing that, Jesus appears to them. That's what we just read about in Matthew 28. Peter and John, meanwhile, while they, the women have left, Peter and John run back to the tomb. And you read about this in, in the Gospel of John. I love how John describes it. You know, they, uh, Peter and some other guy run back to the tomb. And the other guy just happened to be a little faster than Peter. I'm not saying who that guy is, but he's the one that Jesus loved most. <laughs> I, love, I love how Peter and, and John uh, dealt with each other. But anyway, so they arrive at the tomb. They go in. They see that the body's not here. And it says that John became, he starts to become aware of what's going on. He's starting to understand. Peter still 
doesn't. He's just like, this is weird. They leave. Mary returns to the tomb. Because remember, Peter and John, they ran. Mary is kind of behind them as she approaches the tomb. She still thinks Jesus' body has been stolen or something. She's weeping outside the tomb. Knowing nothing of the experience of the other women, right? She's weeping, and then she sees angels. Uh, John 20, verses like 11 through 17, I think. Um, then she sees Jesus, and Jesus speaks to her. I didn't want to cover all of this today because we want to focus on what Matthew's point is of this story, right? But all of these events happen. Uh, then she goes off. The disciples have gathered together. Mary arrives and tells her experiences. So they all do agree with each other. It's just we're seeing different moments throughout the day. Not to mention there's Jesus appearing to, on the road to Emmaus and to Peter. There's so much more than what we're going to cover in Matthew 28. Matthew, like I said, he leaves much of this stuff out. Not because it didn't happen or that it's not important. He's focusing on a couple of key moments that he wants the reader to take away from this event. So what are they? See, he bookends his account of the resurrection with four words. Four key words that summarize what the Christian experience is to be. In Matthew 28, verse 6, it says, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And then in verse 10, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Four words. Come, See, go, tell. Come, come, let the the little children come to me. Come, let us reason together. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just come. And then see, check it out for yourself. Investigate it, observe it, perceive, understand. John 6, verse 40, says, This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, you're weary, you're heavy laden, come. Then see, check it out, investigate it, read my word, find out for yourself. And if you see the Son and believe... You'll have everlasting life. And then go. Right? It's not come, see, and then sit a while. Come, see, go. Learn from me. Walk the path that I've laid out for you. It's all over, the, it's all over his word. Ephesians 2, we love to quote that, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that, not of yourselves. It's a gift of, from God. But we read on and he says, for I've laid works out before you that you would walk in them. I have something in mind for you. So learn from me. 
walk the path I have laid out for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge me and I'll make your path straight. I'll show you. So come, see, go, and then tell. Tell what you've seen. Tell them about me. You've been through some stuff. And he's been there with you. And seen you through it. Tell somebody about that. Those are the, the four words that summarize what our experience should be in light of the resurrection. What our experience should be as believers. It's not come see, then sit here and get fed and fed and fed and fed and fed. That's good. It's good to be fed. It's good to know more and to understand more. But you, use, you take that and you go and you tell. Because as Paul tells us in his writings, and many of the things that we experience are so that we're equipped to help someone else through their trial. We have an abundance so that we can see to the needs of those who have a lack. We, we go through trials, Jesus gets us through it, and what we learn about him through those trials, we can then use to minister to others as they go through theirs. Everybody's able to tell something of their experience. So it's that time of year when we, make, uh, we lie to ourselves, Right? We make uh, promises of this is the year. This is the year I'm going to run a marathon. <clears throat> or maybe start walking. This is the year I'm going to quit doing what I've been doing. This is the year I'm going to start doing that thing that I, I need to start doing. It's the year that I'm going to deal with that one thing. That one thing that's always held me back. The angel cut pretty, pretty quick uh, to the truth of, of the matter. The angel answered and said, Do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. That's the one thing. What you're seeking. The one thing that's just never been quite right. The one thing that I can never quite get over. It's because only he can do it. The one thing you seek is Jesus who was crucified. And he's not in the old. And he's not in the past. He's not in the inactive. He's not in the tomb. He's on the path of, that he's laid out before you, if you would walk in it. So, not telling you, no, so quit your diet, right? You don't need to exercise. Quit, you, know, you didn't need to come to church today. That was funny, I was talking with someone earlier, and they were like, wow, early service is fuller than usual. Is this like New Year's resolution people? And, this is going to be like the people in the gym. And I'm like, well, I hope not, because <laughs> those people don't last very long. Uh, we want you to stick around. But all those things, whatever you know, positive momentum you're trying to get in this new year, that's great. 
The one thing that you seek, though, is Jesus, who was crucified. That's who we need more of. That's what we need more of in our lives. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that, that you've made a way for us to know you. Lord, we, we don't always make decisions or, or live in light of the truth of your resurrection, that, that you didn't just defeat that tomb. You didn't just defeat death. Lord, that, that you've made a way that we can, we can be changed, not just in eternity, but here and now as well. We can live in light of the re- resurrection, knowing that we have victory in you. So I pray that everyone here listening online, uh, whatever goals, whatever positive momentum they've, they've set for themselves, we pray that they make those, those steps. But more importantly, Lord, we pray that you would be ever on our mind. That our decisions, that our goals would be in light of who you are, what your will is. So we know that is where real life is, where abundant life is, the life that you have in store, have in mind for your children. Whatever obstacles we've allowed to hinder us, whatever big stones that we think are unmovable. Lord, we, we trust those things over to you now. We may have big problems, Lord, but we have a bigger God. And we pray that, uh, that we would just grow in the knowledge of your grace and your truth. Jesus, let this be the, the day, the year that we became closer with you than ever before when our faith uh, was put into action that we would go that we would tell that we would come that we would see then we would go and we would tell of who you are we thank you Jesus for the price you paid on the cross we thank you for the resurrection we thank you for your love and your mercy we pray you come and come quickly And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. Ready? Break.